Hey everybody, it's Associate Pastor Jeff Boyette here at Grace Chapel Fairview, and welcome to our podcast. Our prayer for you today is that you will lean into the message and that you'll walk away feeling inspired and changed, bringing you a new perspective on how Jesus is moving in your life. Let's join Pastor Ian. How people get church done in an hour, I don't know. I tried, it was their fault. I was thinking this week as I read through the text and getting ready for for preaching about one of my favorite memories. A few buddies and I went out to to Luke's farm. I don't know where Luke is. Here he is, Luke Fickens. So we went out to Luke Fickens' farm, and uh, and I got to do one of my favorite things. We we rode around on dirt bikes all day, and and it turned into this kind of day of adventure. He got a new one. I was riding his old one. I might have looked like Donkey Kong, but... (sighs) fine. I enjoyed it. And we were going and, and just, you know, in my opinion, we were probably going a lot slower than I thought, but, but it felt like I was just like, you know, conquering the world. You're out on this great adventure, you know, tooling around this farm in Dixon. And, and we did it for hours and we'd come back and hang out for a minute and then we'd go back and ride more. And it was, it was just an awesome, like bro time together. And of course I'm on the bike, you know, the old one, I think he got it when he was 13. And and he's on his new one, and so he's, he's not having any issues. All of a sudden, we hit this one part, and I'm going, and, and of course, you know, he's very experienced. He's good at it. He doesn't fall down. I think three or four times I laid that thing down, um, and it wasn't because of my skills, but <clears throat> could have been. But we're riding these dirt bikes, and, and, I'm, and I'm back in the woods, and all of a sudden, somehow, I'm, I'm pointed the wrong direction. I lay it over. The bike just dies, and I'm like, okay, it's okay. So I go to restart it, and the... It's just not happening. And so I'm kicking, you know, kicking, and I don't want Luke to see that I've wrecked. And so I'm like, hurry, he's coming, you know. <laughs> so I'm trying to go really fast and get this thing going, and, and it's just dead. And I have no mechanical inkling in my soul at all other than I know how to get this thing to kick. And it just won't start. And I realize that, that it's not going to happen. And so I kind of stand there like I know what I'm doing. But, but Luke comes around the corner and he sees me and he goes, battery's dead, huh? I'm like, I guess so. <laughs> I don't really know. And it got me. And I realized, like, he goes, okay, well, we're gonna, you're not going to be able to fix it. You're going to have to go get it. He goes and gets something, brings a battery charger, charges me back up. And it just had me thinking. It's like I love riding on dirt bikes. I'm, I'm again, not good at it. I will wreck them often. But. But something happens when the power is not there. You can be out on a great adventure. You can be all out on the open road. You can be doing all this stuff. But if one little piece isn't there, if the battery doesn't have a spark, you're dead in the water. And and as we read through the scriptures and we talk about these great adventures and we talk about this this great call on every one of our life to be like Nehemiah, to go and build a great wall in this world, to make a difference, to to, to see God transform and change, to, to do all this stuff. If our power source isn't right, it's not gonna happen. And and as we start to explore and as we've gone through and we've seen Nehemiah respond to opposition, we've seen how Nehemiah prays and seeks the Lord, we see how Nehemiah even started, and last week we looked at how 
at how he stood and he gathered the people and, he, and as the people came from exile, he brought them back. And what was the first thing they did? They got the word out and they stood in the midst of the people. Ezra stood out in the middle of them and they read the word. They read the Torah. And so they built a foundation of a community that wasn't rooted on, on activities. It wasn't rooted on events. But, but for hours they stood and just heard the word. And so we talked about how, how a community, if we're going to move forward and we're going to build out of coming out of exile, then we have got to, to, to foundation that thing on God's word and that word alone. And as we continue in the scriptures, as we continue to look, I want to bring you to this moment in Nehemiah chapter 12. And I want to see something that happens here where they build upon a foundation of the word with another component for the city and, and, and for the community. But what I see here is now I see that it's like if, if the word is there, if, is the way they kind of build, they build a foundation, they go, hey, if the word is their, their, their fuel, then this next piece is the battery. Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 37 and 43 say, by the fountain gate. In front of them, they went up to the stairs of the city of David, and on the stairway of the wall beyond the house of David, as far as the water gate eastward, the other Thanksgiving choir went opposite way and was behind them half of the people on the wall, going past the tower of ovens far, as far as the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, above the old gate, above the fish gate, the tower of Hanel. And the tower of the hundred as far as the sheep gate, and they stopped by the gate of the prison. So the two thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God. Likewise, I and half of the rulers with me. And the priest, here we go again. Eliakim, Messiah, Minjamin, Micaiah, oof. Elonai, Zechariah, and Hananiah, and the trump with trumpets, and Messiah. Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzai, Jehonanan, I don't think that was right, Melchijah, Elam, and Ezra. Whew. The singer sang loudly with Jezariah, the director. Also that day, the offerings, uh, they, they made, uh, the day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, and God had made them rejoice with a great joy. And women and children also rejoiced, so the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Let's pray together. Father, we ask right now that you would work through me, even though I can't pronounce words really well, that you would fill us up with power and that you would enable us to do exactly what you called us to do and be everything you've called us to be. Would you somehow use one more time a person's voice to transform a soul? Would you shape us and mold us as we look and explore your word in such a way that we would walk out of here and say to one another, today I encountered the living God. We trust you for that so much so that we can thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we have this new community. We have this this wall that has been built, we know the gates. We can go back to chapter 3. If you missed that, go check it out. It was week 3 of our sermon series. But, but in week 3, we talked about all the different gates in Jerusalem. 
We talked about the, the 10 different gates that, that needed to be rebuilt. And we explored these gates and talked about how they're kind of personally, not just gates that he was building then, but these are the prescriptive gates that we need to be building in our life. And we talked about each one of them. And, and I, I want to go into it, but again, I'm trying to keep this under three hours today. So, so the point is, is that, that we have purpose around each one of these gates. Last week, we talked about the first act, they did it at the water gate. Well, that gate represented truth. That gate represents kind of building on that foundation of truth. And so that's literally where they are. That's, that's where they, 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 they did this activity of reading the word together, all the assembled people. Well, now fast forward a couple chapters and you see that they have now arrived at the water gate. I'm sorry, at the fountain gate. Well, if you'll remember, the fountain gate represents the Holy Spirit. And so now all of a sudden they started at the water. They started with, with, with building a foundation on the word. And now they've moved to a place of, of, of hey, now we need to talk about the Holy Spirit. And we need to talk about this, this part of godly community. And directly tied to being a part of the Holy Spirit is this idea of the Thanksgiving choirs. And so I want to draw the conclusion today that, that when we're building our community, we need to be aware of and find gratitude in our life. And sometimes people say that and I go, well, what if I don't have a lot to be thankful for? <laughs> you know, it's like, we should be a grateful people. You should, you should be grateful. And it's like, well, what about when I'm just mad or I just want to find something to complain about? And, and the truth of the matter is, is when you tie gratitude to the Holy Spirit, it's never fleeting. When you connect, my, my gratitude isn't going to be tied to my circumstances. It's not tied to things going well. It's not tied to the way people are treating me. It's tied to the way God has chosen to connect with me. When I can start living that life, I can start finding gratitude no matter what's happening out there. I start to walk in gratitude and understanding that no matter what comes against me, nothing shall kill me. Nothing shall hurt me. Nothing shall overtake me. And I say that to say, sometimes things hurt, but nothing can overcome you. And so we have to get a hold of it and go, wait, what are we, what are we grateful for? What are, we, what are we overwhelmed by? You see, I think about my life and, and I think about the gifts God has given me. I think about the, the ways God has blessed me. But the truth of the matter is when I can connect my gratitude, my joy to who God is, it changes everything. And so I want us today to explore the seven different, not, not the only seven, but seven different ways. And everybody's like, wait, we're running out of time. Seven point sermon. You know, they tell you as a preacher, never talk about time. It's a distraction. It's not. I've done it four times already. We're looking at seven gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. Now, I want to say quickly, I'm not going where some of you are going, oh boy, he's going to talk about the tongues thing or the... 
sick. My family laughed. That's good. Everybody else is nervous. <laughs> We're going to talk about seven things that the Holy Spirit does for our life. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are, are numerous. We could, get into, we could get into the functional gifts. We could get into the, all these different types of gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's are wonderful studies to get, dive into. But this week, I just started thinking about what are, what are different things that the Holy Spirit does for our life that would bring us gratitude. Of course, the gifts of the Spirit are in there. But I want to talk about seven things that the Holy Spirit does that in this season, no matter what's happening around us, no matter what chaos is unraveling, that we can look upon him and allow gratitude in our heart. So like Nehemiah, so like the people of Jerusalem, we can go, hey, we're building on a foundation of God's word. And out of that, we're going to sing a song of thanksgiving because the Holy Spirit is with us. And so we want to look, what are the seven things that the Holy Spirit does? Number one, he convicts us of our sin. You see, in John 16, 7 and 8, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper, the advantage, will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Beloved, you might think it feels weird to say, I am grateful that God convicts me of sin. But I'm telling you, we need to be grateful God convicts us of our sin. We need to get a hold of this idea that, that it's almost this kind of uh, a cheat code. I mean, think about this. If you had a, a cheat code typed in, I know that doesn't make sense if you're over like 35, but <laughs> Cody laughed. If you had a way at work to, to know when you were making a decision that was going to hurt you, if, if you had a way to go, hey, I'm, I'm here in my career and I'm doing something, every time I start to make a decision that's going to inhibit or distract me from the, from the upward trajectory of growth in my job, that all of a sudden you're just going to get a little, stop that. How many people wouldn't want it, right? We would all want it. We'd go, man, I, I would love to know when I'm about to do something that's going to make my boss hate me. Now, I'm not saying when you say, okay, we'll get into that later. But what I am saying is, is, is that we have to get a hold of something and go, God convicts you of sin, not because he's going, hey, I'm mad, and I want to, Alan, I got to tell you, every time you're doing something wrong, he's going, hey, I designed you to live a certain way, and when you sin, the definition of sin is to miss the mark. And so right now, I've made you to do something. I've made you to live something. I've made your life. I know what's best for you. When you sin, you're just missing it. And so I want to convict you of it, not because I'm angry and I want you to feel shame, but because I want you to live the abundant life. And so sin and getting, getting become aware of sin isn't something we should go, oh man, he's mad at me again. No, he loves you so much, he's willing to tell you when you're off the mark. We need to stop thinking. And, and the reason that's come about, I believe, is because we all have this I'm going to step on toes. It's okay. We think we're better than we are. Amen. Come on. We, we, we believe that, that nobody else knows how weird things are in here. Amanda's like, oh, yeah. 
We, we think we're better than we are. There's a, there's a world that's kind of, kind of convinced us to go, hey, let's put our best foot forward. Let's show all the, you know, Instagram and Facebook and how good my life really is. Nobody ever puts pictures on Instagram when it's like their life's falling apart. Like, check this out. <laughs> Massive moral failure today. <laughs> Well, why not? Because we are convinced that everyone thinks we're better than we are, and we've got to hold up that facade. The truth of the matter is God is going, hey, I know exactly who you are, and I want to, I want to help you be everything I've made you to be. So don't resent, don't hate, don't, don't, don't be despising when I convict you of sin. Be grateful. Beloved, if God is speaking to you, he's saying, I love you, I'm here for you. And it might be, you know, the only time it feels like he, you know, speaks to me is when I'm doing something bad. It's like, well, how often are you doing something bad? <laughs> Maybe he's saying like, hey, don't do that. And so we've got to go, hey, this, this conviction shouldn't drive us to shame. It should drive us to joy. Thank God I have a God that's willing to show me when I'm off the mark, when I'm going the wrong way, when I'm headed down the wrong road. And it shouldn't drive us away from him. It should drive us to him. And it's always blown my mind with, with sin. And I listen, I'm so guilty of this, where I'll feel very convicted over something. I'll, I'll confess it to a brother or, or Amanda, whoever, and I'll, and I'll share that. And I'll go, oh, God, now I need to go in my shame room for a couple days and stay away. That's, that's totally wrong, right? Like God's not convicting you, showing you how much he loves you, bringing, bringing it up to the surface so you can run away from him. He knew you did it in the first place. That's why he told you about it. And he never wants to abandon or run back. The Holy Spirit revealing our sin is not him beating us up. It's helping us see where we're getting ripped off. The second thing is this. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit also regenerates our life. Some people are like, what are you talking about? But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by his righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3, 4, and 5. This sounds a bit mysterious, so let's break it down. Regeneration, rebirth, the process of being made into something new is a work only and exclusively done by the Holy Spirit. I cannot tell you how many times in life I've heard people say, people don't change. People won't change. Change. If they did it to you back then, they're going to do it to you again. This idea of, of, of people cannot change. And listen, I'm telling you, on their own, people won't change. But God. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. I need to testify, I am not what I used to be. I was an addict, 
I didn't care about anyone but me. I was an abuser. I stole, I hurt, and I used anyone and everyone I could. But I have been made new. I'm not a, I'm not just some like 2.0 version. I'm not some, you know, well, I've changed a little. Like, listen, I'm telling you, if I was who I used to be, he wouldn't let me in here. I would have made people uncomfortable just sitting next to me. I was that guy, and yet God saw fit to take a mess and use a mess to pastor and shepherd. Beloved, he's in the business of using broken and, and, and heinous things to turn into beautiful things, to accomplish the, his means here on the earth. If he can use me, he can use you, no doubt about it. And he's in the business of transforming. It doesn't happen in the natural. People don't just wake up and decide one day, you know what? I'd like to be different. It just doesn't happen. We're not wired that way. But I'm telling you, by the grace of God and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, anything is possible. So I want to encourage you today. Maybe you're going, well, man, I've had this experience, but I've been praying for the prodigal. I've been praying for my kid. I've been praying for my nephew, my friend, my so-and-so. God is in the business of regenerating life. He did it before. He's doing it now, and he'll do it again. That should cause gratitude to well up in us no matter what's happening, no matter where we've been, no matter what's going on. It should cause us to go, oh, God, anything can happen. No matter how far gone it seems, you will and can and will do it. Will and can and will. <laughs> Don't use that for the Instagram. Woohoo. Number three, we're almost halfway through. The Holy Spirit enables us to say, Jesus is Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You were, you were, wired a certain way, and then the fall of humanity put something in us that left to the, our own devices. Lordship is a major problem. The truth is, is we all want to be the captain of our own destiny. In, 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 innate within you is a desire to, to, to be the king, to be in charge, to be on the throne. The truth is, that saying someone else is the Lord takes too much humility to truly know my limitations and understand what, what, what can and can't, what I can and can't do is difficult. And so the ability to identify that, that Jesus, in fact, is Lord is a gift only given to us by the Holy Spirit. That, that we, we want to, to, to be in control, we want to be in charge, and yet... Jesus 
is Lord puts us in the right posture to live the life that he made us to live. You see, we've all seen it at home. Our kids carrying too many bags of groceries, not willing to admit they can't handle it. An athlete getting beat play after play, but not coming out and admitting he's outmatched. A leader running a business sideways because he won't admit it's too much for him. That's all as a part of life, trying to hold it together, and yet the gift of the Holy Spirit comes and says, hey, let me carry this for you. Humility comes when the Holy Spirit invades our life and all of a sudden we're able to go, hey, I can't do this on my own. I desperately need Jesus. To, to admit that, some of us are going, well, I'm a mature believer. I've been doing this a long time. It's like, great. I don't care if you've been here a long time or if you're brand new. To be able to admit, even as a seasoned believer, Jesus, I need you. That is a gift that only the Holy Spirit can give. That, that's, a, that's a function that only he can, can, can afford us. Beloved, humility is fully stepping into everything God has for us, not more or not less. You don't have to be the star player or in the success story the, uh, or the best ever to be fulfilled. Your worth was never rooted on your performance. So own where you are, and let's all get comfortable going, Jesus is Lord. No matter what's happening, no matter what's, what's flailing around us, that we can pause and go, wait. I don't have to let the world convince me that I need to, you know, if, 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 you're, if you feel responsible to fix everything, you got to wait and step back and go, wait. Jesus is on the throne, not me. Thank God for that. That doesn't happen aside from the work of the Holy Spirit. Number four, I'll try to move quickly. The Spirit enables us to worship authentically. Philippians 3.3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Beloved, we were made to worship. We can't help it. From the desert when we made idol calves, when Moses was getting the law from God personally, to modern day. Y'all, I was at a concert a few years back. This has been a long time back now, but, but one of my favorite bands, Mumford & Sons, was playing at the Ryman Auditorium. And somehow we got tickets. I don't know how that worked. And I was so excited, and they were playing, and we get down there, and I'm like feeling really cool because we're at a Mumford concert at the Ryman, and... And we're sitting up there, and I'm, I'm a pastor at that time, and all of a sudden they start playing, and I got really uncomfortable. Because it's not the songs, like they sounded amazing, and the rhyming's the rhyming, it sounded awesome. But I watched people start to respond to a secular song in a way that only should be reserved for a holy God. I, I watched people fall to their knees, weeping. To like, I will, you know, whatever the songs were, you're going, I'm like, I want to look at them like, it's good, but it's not that good. Like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? And the other people are just, yes, like, you're the best. This is amazing. Just tears. And I'm going, you're, this isn't right. Like, something in your spirit knew it wasn't right. What is that? 
It's people who are, gonna, are made to worship. They're going to worship. They're going to worship something. It is by the Spirit of God that we actually know and authentically worship the right thing. The gift of the Holy Spirit that he, that he gives us is that we are empowered to see clearly that which is real and authentic and genuine and Jesus. We don't have to worship nonsense. And listen, I, I, I mean, they're a great band, but that's nonsense in the big scheme of things. And, and we got to go, hey, I'm all about enjoying good music, but enjoying good music isn't to put something on the throne of your life. Because what happens when Mumford and Sons stop? People are lost. But when we allow the Holy Spirit to genuinely posture our hearts towards God, then all of a sudden we, we start to worship that which is, is fulfilling, that which is beautiful, that which is wonderful, that which is eternal. And so the gift that God empowers us to, to worship authentically is, is it cannot be, be mistaken. Because what happens when we don't allow God to enable us to authentically worship? Well, that exact thing, Romans 1, 21 and 23, because although they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of God into incorruptible God, into the image of corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. It's this great digression, and you could go, well, I don't, I don't think that's what I do, I don't think that's what I would do. There's a tribe in Africa, they worship a dung beetle. That's a poop bug. <laughs> In case you were wondering. And the truth of the matter is what happens is, is they watch this little bug and it takes a piece of poop and it rolls it across the land and it, and it, bur and it buries itself in and it dies and then it, and, and then it hatches and releases. And, and so they see, they're like, wow, that's, like a, that's a picture. So that thing must be like God. And, and so they worship this beetle who drags poop. That's it. I don't feel like that's getting an appropriate response. <laughs> Left to our own devices, we will do the same thing. We will worship that which is inadequate, that which is, 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 is gross. And we've got to go, hey, God, I want to authentically worship that which is real. And what's he going to do? He's going to point you to Jesus. This isn't, this isn't trickery. This isn't complicated. He's going to take your eyes and focus right upon Jesus because that's the only worthy worship. And when we worship that which is worthy, we start to live abundantly. And so we've got to understand that, that when, then when we take our eyes and let our focus drift, it's not just the weird people at the concert or the people over in another country. We're all capable. But thank God in a season of thanksgiving that he allows our eyes to see that which is right and good and eternal and forever. Number five, the Spirit imparts God's love to us. 
Romans 5, 5, and the hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Now, this doesn't take a lot of preaching. Just let it sink in. Read it one more time. The Holy Spirit is the conduit that receives God's love inside of our soul. So it's like a radio receiver that's been installed that allows you to start grabbing up the love of God that's being poured out all over. God's love is not restricted. He's not saying, hey, I'm not giving it to you because you're not acting right. That's a works-based kind of love. He's saying, I love you and I'm pouring out my love. But without the Holy Spirit, you can't take it. You can't grab it. You can't catch it. So the Holy Spirit's empowering presence in your life is not just to give you gifts. It's to literally capture the love of God in your soul. If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. We got to go. Clappers, man. We got to. Some of them stayed home today. So we got to understand that, that he is he is moving and he is pouring out love and and when we can can hear it and receive it and get it that is a distinct work of the holy spirit and nothing else without him it's not that god's love is absence it's that we can't touch it number 6 the spirit helps us to pray Romans 8, 26 and 27, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, the groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts and knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Beloved, as we start to understand just how functional, you know, I think we get so mystic when we talk about the Holy Spirit. And I'm all about it. Like, we'll dive into it. We'll talk about it. I want all the gifts. I want everything he has for me. I don't think it's stopped. I don't think he's backed off one iota. But the truth is, we don't often think about these gifts that he's given. That even how we pray is supported by and empowered by the very Spirit of God himself. That when we feel... uh, the I mean, is anybody, you just struggle, you don't have words, you just, oh, you know what that feeling is like. One of my favorite pictures is, is this picture, I should have, that's why we have a big screen, but I didn't think to do that, so, but it's a piece of paper, it says, dear God, there's tear marks, it says, love Ian, because that's like a spirit prayer, right, that's like, I got nothing, I don't have the, the words to say, I just, Like that's when the Spirit starts praying for us. When we don't know what to say, He tells us, He instructs us, He leads us. We don't have to have fancy words or pray really good. He takes care of all that. There's a story in Luke where where you hear this this Pharisee show up in the the synagogue and he starts to, 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 to pray and then there's this other... There's this other guy, I think he's a tax collector, and he's sitting over there, and he's, he's just going, oh, God, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. And then this guy prays this, you know, really beautiful prayer. Thank God, thank you, I'm not like this guy. And it says one of them walked away justified, and the other didn't. God is not concerned with us 
praying good. He wants to pray for us. He wants to empower your prayer. It's not about being eloquent. It's about being spirit-filled. And so the Spirit of God empowers our prayer. And then here's our final point. The Spirit dwells with us. Romans 8, 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Beloved, finally, the Spirit of God dwells in us. You are never alone. You're never going to be forsaken. You're never too far away. God isn't, God isn't absent, but indeed He's available. The veil has been ripped and God's presence now resides right here in us. Beloved, this is so much more. There is so much more. There's reasons that we have to be grateful as we enter into this season of thanksgiving. No matter what part of our life feels like we've been going off the rails, no matter where our life feels like that we, we don't, we, maybe it's relationships or maybe it's it, it, they've been fractured or, 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 or we've, we've, we've been concerned because things haven't, outcomes haven't gone the way we thought they would. We need to remember that we have been given a gift and many gifts that are indeed priceless. It is the Holy Spirit, alive and well in me and in you, that is the great gift of this season that will drive us to gratitude. So we get back to our story in verse 40. It says, so the two Thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God. That day they were offered great sacrifices. They rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. I've invited our Thanksgiving choir to come and lead us in a song of gratitude. And I want our joy to be heard from a long way off. I want to respond to the gift that, that the Holy Spirit has given. Not to be ripped off by what's broken in our lives or what's missing in our lives. Because right here and right now, God is with us. The Holy Spirit is, is, is shaping and changing and praying. He's empowering. He's doing things in your life and in your loved one's life you never imagined. He's working in the prodigals and in the older brothers. He's working in the fathers and in the mothers and he's moving. And I believe in the seasons to come that he's going to do more than we could have ever asked or imagined. 
He knows your intimate details. He's fully up to speed. And he's working in ways you cannot comprehend. So I want you to lift your eyes up off of the carnal. I know the world is going mad. But let's start to see God differently. Let's start to look upon him with the wonder he deserves. Let's stand together and worship.